I want to ask you a question to start off today. Have you ever been presented with an opportunity and failed to take it? Has God ever put something on your heart that you needed to do and somehow, some way, you figured out a way to reason yourself out of doing it? You might have missed an opportunity that God put on your heart. You felt like you needed to say something or do something and you just you failed to take it. It happens. God is a God of second chances. And today, actually, we are going to be talking about second chances. Our God is a God who allows us to fail and gives us an opportunity to redeem ourselves. He continues to work through our lives even when we fail the first time because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know his heart. And so today we are going to be looking at the God of second chances. Now last week we looked at, um, we looked at Balaam and we looked at the donkey and we looked at a guy who knew God, who talked to God, but he didn't always follow God. And that he, he followed the words, but he felt like the guidelines that God had given him were restricting. He felt like what God was telling him to do was limiting to what his true potential could be. He tried to figure out ways to get around God and circumvent what God had said all the time. He felt like what God was doing was restricting on his life. That was one type of God follower or Christ follower. Second type of Christ follower we talked about last week is a person who actually takes God's message to heart. And he looks at, this person looks at God's word and he looks at what God has commanded and he says, you know what, these are for my benefit. And he realizes how far he has fallen, how short he has come to God's standards, and realize that God has redeemed him from so much. There are different God followers. And today I want to talk about the second type of God follower, a person who realizes how far short he is and how much he loves and trusts God for what he has given. Today we're going to be in the book of Joshua. We are going to primarily be in Joshua, and we are going to be slowly working through its first couple of chapters. Joshua is a man who looked at God's word, and he was there when uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments. He was there when Moses started the military campaigns before they crossed over into the Promised Land. He was one of the spies that went into the Promised Land 40 years beforehand. He was one of only two that gave a favorable report, and he was only one of two of an entire generation that survived 40 years in the wilderness. Only he and Caleb, everybody else died. Why did they wander in 40 years in the wilderness? Because of a punishment. Because that entire generation that saw all of those huge, monumental miracles that God did, from the plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the sea, and all those things we talked about, they still refused to believe the promises of God. And so they couldn't move into the promised land because they didn't believe in it. Joshua did. And he now has a second chance. And I want to actually start off today in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, then Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. 
first verse kicks off, and there is a lot going on. Remember I just said Joshua was one of two spies before. Originally, when Moses sent spies out, he sent 12 of them out, one to represent each tribe, so each tribe had a vote. And he also had a very public announcement. When the spies came back, they told everybody all at once. Joshua has learned from this mistake, and he sent them out secretly. He didn't let anybody know he was sending out spies because he didn't want what happened last time to happen again. He sent out two guys. He said, look, this is what you're supposed to do. Go out, double check everything. Look at the road ahead for us, especially check out Jericho. Why Jericho? Jericho was the first major city that they were going to come against. It was a big city. In fact, archaeologists have found this city, and they know that this city had stockpiles of grain. It had an underground spring that actually fed into the city. So if you uh, bombarded the city, they could actually have water, fresh water all the time because they had an underground spring going. They had two thick walls that towered over 40 feet each, encompassing the nine-acre city. By human standards, the city was impenetrable. And this was a major milestone that they would have to cross. And Joshua wanted to know what he was up against. So he sends these spies out. Now, these spies go to the harlot's house, and we know what her occupation was. And at first, it seems like, why would two men of God being sent by a godly man go here? But if you understand the circumstances of their mission, they are supposed to be what we call clandestine or undercover. No one was supposed to know about it. They were trying to keep a low profile. So they went to a place where if you went to there for other reasons, they normally didn't say much. Not much word got passed around. They tried to keep it anonymous. I tried saying anonymity in the first service, and I failed horribly, so I'm going with anonymous this time. In this particular profession, uh, things were kept on the down low. So they, they stayed there because not a lot of information would be passed. We also find out later that this particular house happens to be on the outer wall of the city, which makes it a very convenient place to both get into the city and to get out of the city. So they actually made some wise choices there. We're going to actually read the next couple of verses here. Joshua chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered into your house, for they have come to search out all of our country. And the woman took the two men, and she hid them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened, as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax she had laid on top of her roof. Then the men pursued them to the road of the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone, they shut the gate. So Rahab here is offered an opportunity to turn these men in, to do something good for her kingdom because it's directly from her king. But instead, she commits an act of treason. And I want to ask the question, what would lead a woman to commit such an act? to go against her king, to go against her country, her city? Why would she act not in the best interest of her fellow countrymen? Why would she change her mind and protect these two spies? What would cause her to do that? Why don't you read the next couple of verses with me? Verses 8 through 11. Beginning in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, on Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in the land, anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This is the reason why. She has heard these things. What's interesting is this is actually a very, very sad story. This story is incredibly sad because the people who are supposed to be the enemies of God, the ones that are against God, who are in the nation's way of entering the promised land, believe more in God's power than God's followers. Read it again with me right here. It says, in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did, the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan. Those are those prior military campaigns that Joshua had helped Moses lead. We talked a little bit about those last week. The people who are the enemies of God fear God and his power more than the people who are following God. That's a really sad story. But they believe it. And God is striking fear. What's more interesting here is at the end of her statement in verse 11, it comes down to the real matter of why she would betray her country. She says in verse 11, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She is starting to realize, she's starting to become the second type of God follower that we talked about. She's starting to realize that God is in control that nobody else is. We try to pretend that we are in control, but she's realizing that God, he's the one that's ultimately in control. This isn't just a nation to be feared. We fear superpowers, people who have a lot of power, but she's realizing there's more than just this nation that has a lot of army and military prowess. She's realizing that there's something more to these people. It's about their God. Their God is the one to be feared, not necessarily them, and she is starting to change. Now, There are some conditions that are about to be met. She's going to be talking to these men about what she can do to help them and then what they can do to help her. And I want to actually uh, read that with you here. Now, in verse 15, it says this. She let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. Remember, I talked about that earlier. This becomes a very interesting vantage point because it's, right, it's an easy exit spot. She says to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterwards you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which we have made. you have made us swear, unless we come into the land and you bind this line of scarlet cord to the window which you let us down. So this is going to be condition number one. Number one, the condition is going to be that she must distinguish her house by hanging a scarlet cord or rope out of her window. This is the one that they're being let down by. So they'll recognize, oh yeah, that's that rope I got out of the house before on. The next comes in the next couple of verses. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household into your home. This is condition number two. So condition number one, let the scarlet cord out your window so we can find the place again. Number two, your family's going to have to be inside during the battle. This makes it so that during the battle, they don't have to try to figure out who they have to not kill. They're all just going to be in one place. So it's going to be very simple. It's going to be easy. And then there's a third condition. Uh, 
in verse 20, and if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Verse 20. So the third condition is that she must not later turn in the spies. Keep our secret. Don't tell anybody what you've done or how you've helped us, which makes sense, actually. It would actually go against her as well, because at this point, she would be committing treason. So even coming clean wouldn't be in her best benefit. So three things. She wanted to, she needed to put that rope outside. She needed to keep all of her family in the same place. And then she needed to not turn them in. What's interesting here is something that I don't want you to miss. The scarlet cord. Aside from being a bright, obvious color, not just being red, but scarlet. There's another thing that scarlet is actually used for in the Bible. When you use the word scarlet, does anybody recognize the word scarlet from anywhere else in the Bible? What is it commonly used as a descriptive of? Blood. I see you guys in the back. You guys know where I'm going. It's in the Bible, specifically the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, just as the Israelites, a generation before, had painted their doors in faith with the blood of the lamb, the scarlet blood of the lamb, to have the angel pass over. Okay, so at this point, 10 plagues have happened. At this point, Egyptians have automatically always got the bad end of the stick. Israelites have always got the good end. The final plague, the plague, uh, the Passover, what happens is that by faith, these people have to differentiate. It's no longer just your nationality. You actually have to have an act of faith. So they sacrifice the lamb. They paint the blood over the doorpost. That's an act of faith that this is actually going to save them. This is in much the same way that she is going to now have a scarlet cord identifying her home in such a similar manner. It's not the exact same. It's not blood. But it can't be understated that she is now putting her faith and trust into their God, into who they are as a nation. There's something there, and she's learning very much. Now, I want to let you know that Rahab wanted a second chance. We each want second chances. We want do-overs. Have you ever found yourself in life just wishing that you could redo some of your mistakes, some, some of the things that you passed over. We talked earlier at the beginning, you know, have you ever missed an opportunity? You ever found yourself wishing, oh, I wish I could go back and, and change that? It's more than just wishing I could play the stock markets differently. It's life choices. It's being able to be there for somebody. It's saying something when you should have said something, standing up or not standing where you should have been. Rahab, whether by life choice or whether by circumstances, wanted a do-over. She wanted her life to be different. She wanted a second chance. She wanted to reset her life. Solomon warns us in Ecclesiastes 7.10. This is the NLT. He says, don't long for the good old days. That is not wise. And why does he say don't long for the good old ways? Because life doesn't have a rewind button. Don't waste your days wishing you hadn't wasted your days. Don't waste any more time understanding and regretting that you wasted time. Don't long for the good old days. That's not wise. Instead, learn from your mistakes. Take the second chance when it's given. This is what Rahab's doing here. She saw the opportunity and she decided to take it. Let's continue on. We're going to go into Joshua chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. So just down a little bit. Chapter 22. 
chapter 2, verse 22, they departed, talking about the spies, and they went to the mountain and stayed there for three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, and they did not find them. So the two men returned. They descended from the mountain and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. This is exciting news. This is good time. This is exactly what Joshua was hoping to hear. This is more than what he could have expected to hear. These people are no longer going to be aggressive against them. Why? Because Joan of Arc once said, all battles are first won or lost in the mind. These people have already lost the battle because they are faint-hearted. They are realizing that who can stand against our God? No one can stand against our God. And they're realizing that Israel has a God who has power, who can't be stood against. Their battle is already being lost. And just in the same way the generation before, the Israelites that could not put their trust in God, even though they had seen all those miracles, they lost the battle because they lost it in their mind. Remember their report of the 12 spies? They're giants. They're huge. They're going to crush us. Why did you bring us out here? It would have been better if we'd have died in, uh, in Egypt as slaves. They lost the battle in their mind. And that's what these people are now doing, is they're losing before there's even a chance. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay, so Joshua is a guy that does things by the book. Joshua was part of a generation that completely failed. They messed up and they paid the penalty by dying in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years, almost completely useless. The time was redeemed. It wasn't completely lost. A lot of things happened. But there were so many promises that they missed out on. There were so many things that God wanted to do with them that they missed out on because they just wouldn't trust God. Joshua's doing everything by the book this time. And you're going to see that again and again, that he just, he preps the people. He gets them all ready because he wants everything to be perfect because he's not going to waste his second opportunity because he's been given a chance to redeem the people. So here we go in verse 8, just down three verses. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying that when you come to the edge of the water to the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Okay, so just as the nation had once had to trust God to cross the Red Sea a generation before, the new generation now has to trust them as they crossed the Jordan. We're actually told in the following verses that the Jordan is actually at flood stage, so it's actually up and there's water in the plain, so it's actually higher than normal. It, is pointed out. So the priests step into the water and it recedes, it dries up, and it even stands up, which is actually quite the phenomenon. They stood in the, in the middle and the whole nation passes by them. So the priests are standing there with the ark, the most precious thing. They stand there, the step in the water, the water recedes, it stands up a couple miles out, and then the nation passes it by on dry ground. Mm. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Then Joshua called up 12 men who he had anointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this might be a sign among your children in the time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them and say, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forevermore. Okay. 
So what's happening here is God realizes we are a visual people. We like monuments. If you've ever been to D.C. or if you've gone around to different town squares, you'll see these different monuments to remind us of different events. Unfortunately, these days and age, monuments are being torn down. These monuments are here to remind us, not necessarily of the good things or the failures, but they remind us of events that have transpired. And so what God is saying is as you're going through the dry river, find in the riverbed a a stone. So he says, pick a leader from each of the tribes. So he says, get a guy. If these guys are like the guys that I know, they're probably getting the biggest rock they can possibly handle. You ever seen those guys? You got the young men that like, they just find the biggest stone and they're just wobbling and they're like, I can, I got it. Don't worry. I don't need help. These guys, I guarantee got the biggest stone that they possibly could. They dragged it up out of the river and put it off to the side so that later generations when they came by, they say, why is there a big pile of stones over here? Was that the side of a farmer's field? You ever go by a farmer's field? They're always kicking rocks off. It's not one of those. This is a memorial. This wasn't made up around a campfire. This actually happened. That's why these stones are here. These stones came up from the middle of this river because God was with us and he dried the river up and we crossed. This is what happened. God wants the future generations to remember that he is with them and that he is moving them forward. So let's move forward just a little bit into Joshua chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to skip forward one chapter as I'm just kind of hop skipping through this part. Joshua chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Yes, Joshua circumcised the entire nation. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war, they had died in the wilderness along the way, and they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness along the way, as they came out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, till all the people who were the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed, because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord, which we've talked about. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to the fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he had raised up in that place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Okay, so... Circumcision. Circumcision is a sign of a covenant. So God makes different promises at different times. We call those covenants. Part of one of these covenants is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. He promised to Abraham to give him a specific land, the land they're about to enter. So part of the sign of that covenant or promise was circumcision. So Abraham ended up actually circumcising himself, his son, uh, who was, uh, I think, 13 or so at the same, and all of his servants in his household and all the people that were with him as part of this sign and covenant. What has happened is in the wilderness, this hasn't been taking place. It's been forgotten. Joshua's about to go, and he's about to go into that promise and receive that promise. God says, I'm going to give you this land. Joshua is making a sign of that promise by giving the circumcision. That's what that is for. He's trying to remember that and bring that back to the people that God has promised us this land and we are going to take it because we are going to be in his blessings. They are finally ready to listen and obey. And it's here where they also observe another Passover as well. And this, in verse 12, just a couple of verses down, is where the manna stops appearing. The manna for the 40 years in the wilderness had been appearing, and now all of a sudden it stops because they're finally moving forward. They're finally ready to listen and obey their God and actually live in the promises that he is going to give them. Let's move forward into Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. You shall march around the city, 
all you men of war, you shall all go around the city once and you shall do this six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march up around the city seven times and the priests shall blow trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall hear with a great shout, the wall of the city, it will fall down flat and the people will go up every man straight before him. Okay, so you know the story. They followed the instructions to the letter. Joshua is not leaving anything out. These people have to start marching around the city. It's an entire nation just walking in silence. You ever heard of the term psychological warfare? Uh, If you've ever heard of the term psychological warfare, this is the battle of the mind. We talked about how battles are lost or won in the mind. Can you imagine? These people are already terrified. We've gotten news that uh, Rahab said that their hearts melted at the news. Like, oh no, we are lost. Everything's gone. Everything is already doomed. And now all of a sudden, this entire nation just starts circling. Circling. Not saying a thing. That has got to be creepy because they just come out. They walk around all week long. They walk around, walk around. What are they doing? It has got to be driving the inhabitants mad. With one final shout, everything finally comes tumbling down around them, and Israel had finally learned to listen, okay? Earlier on, the previous generation, they they didn't listen to what God had promised. They didn't listen to what he said. This is showing, okay, God God could have automatically wiped out the entire city with just one snap of his fingers, right? They could have turned to dust, automatically wouldn't have had a problem whatsoever. So why did he have them walk around for seven days? Just to drive the people mad before he killed them? No. He wanted the people to exercise, the nation to exercise patience in following his orders. This would have been hard to do. Wouldn't it have been frustrating? I'm, I'm, sta- I'm literally circling around the promise. I'm circling around the promise. I'm circling around the promise. Why, why are we doing this? I don't know. God said it, so let's just do it. These people are finally learning to obey God at his word, take him, and to actually listen to what he's telling them to do. This is their way of showing finally that they have faith in their God and what he wants to do with them. Now, No matter what you've done or what you've been accused of, God wants to give you a second chance. He wants you to come home and to be used for great things. The one generation of Israel perished because they simply wouldn't believe in the promises. They just absolutely wouldn't. Don't let that be your fate. Take God at his word today and listen to what he tells you when he wants you to do something. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone and be used for the things that you were designed to do. One of my favorite Bible verses I put up on the screen, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and saved. Jesus Christ died to take our punishment. He did nothing wrong, but he came and he took our punishment to right our relationship with God. And this verse, the single verse, shows you that it is both the mouth and the heart. We've been talking about the two different types of Christians, ones who follow in mouth and deed, but it's not just the mouth and deed, it's the heart that needs to change. And you can believe unto salvation. God wants to give you a second chance. He gave Rahab a second chance. In fact, actually, I want you to jump all the way towards the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually going to be in 30 and 31. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. I love the way that he does this. He calls back. Hebrews is known as the chapter of the hall of faith. 
those who had great faith. So all the big players in the Bible are here, the people who had showed extraordinary faith despite their circumstances. And this is what it says in verse 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. It wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't a man-made thing. These walls didn't even feel the trembling of the people's feet. This is by faith. And by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab chose to have faith in a God that she had never met. She chose to have faith in the God who could and proved that he was able. She took the second chance. Our God is a God of second chances. We each fail and we come up short. We each know a point in life where we wish we could rewind and do over, but we can't. But God allows you to change today and pivot and turn and have a second chance at your life. He allows you to have a new life through him. He allows you to redeem what you feel like you completely lost because he loves you and wants the best for you. The one generation of Israel perished simply because they would not put their faith in God. They wouldn't trust him. They couldn't believe the promises. Don't let that be your faith. Take God at his word today and listen when he tells you he wants to do something. Be sensitive when he calls. He wants you to be able to do things. He left you here for a reason, to do good works. Listen to his voice. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone and do what you were designed to do from the beginning. He wants you to do great things. Your excuses are only going to lead in one direction. You were made for so much more. I'm going to close in prayer. But Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to look into Joshua's life. Thank you that we have examples biblically of people who had great faith despite their circumstances. Thank you that we can know that you are a God who gives second chances. I know that Rahab um, is in the lineage of Christ. Um, despite her previous reputation, you redeemed her and you made her one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmothers. Father, I thank you for the opportunities that you give us. Lord, I ask that you help each and every single person here to seize the opportunity that they have been given and march forward on your promises and to take the opportunity of a second chance when it comes by because you are a God who wants the best for us. I thank you so much for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together today as we close.